It is I, Raquilla Denae of RaquillaDenae.com, military spouse, homeschooling mom, communication stylist, and encouragement extraordinaire. We are back. I had a hiatus. It was necessary for the mental health and all of the things, but I am so excited to get back to the couch. With me today, kicking off our month of men on the couch, is a God-given brother in this world. Let me hear it. Damani Anderson. I mean... The Lord brought us together. He had to take us to another country to bring us together, even though we only live three hours apart. But Damani is the husband of Dr. Stephanie Anderson, our very first interviewee here on the couch. And he, in his own right, is an accomplished man. Not only is he a man of great faith, but he completed his social work degree, is currently working as a pre-college advisor for the Boys and Girls Club of Tarrant County, and is on his way to become a licensed marriage and family therapist. So we are Black man magic personified, honey. You better tell the truth. Listen, because one thing we know about here on the couch is some therapy. We're going to talk about the therapy. Everybody need the therapy. And if in a few years you need some marriage and family, I got the plug for you. Come on. Yeah. (laughs) Monty, welcome to the couch, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much. I am privileged. And it's just an honor to be able to be on the couch with you. And then my wife was the first interviewee for, for your show. And now I'm the first one for the guy. I just... I just feel honored right now. I'm not even going to lie. I really feel honored. And I, and yes, so this is a blessing. So I'm just glad to be able to uh, to be able to share and, and, and provide some insight. You know, this is going to be I feel like this is going to be a great, a great show and, and, and a wonderful kickoff. So thank you so much for um, opening your platform to hear from little old me. Oh, listen, I knew that. So, y'all, we gave this little bit of background when Stephanie was on the couch. But during couples vacations, we ended up next to Damani and Stephanie at karaoke. Damani got to sing it. And I was like, yo, is he a singer in real life? She's like, no, he's, you know, a social worker. We became fast friends, stayed up one night till the next day, telling each other our childhood traumas and stories and the things that built us into the adults that we were. And now they just can't get rid of us. Like we got off a flight 24 hours later. It was like, we brunching or no? Listen, COVID. We had whole strangers just pull up to the crib. And that is good. Strangers just came over to our house. Like, (laughs) baby, had to spread laid out. What was supposed to be a brunch ended up being like a six hour visit. (laughs) I love it. So when Stephanie was here on the couch, we talked about how she was working through and has had to deal with, um, with you and herself solo being the main breadwinner, you know, having the job that creates the most income in the household. Yeah. And she talked about her perspective of that. So now I'm ready to have the flip side because, and let's give the people a little bit more background. And about by the time this episode airs, baby Layla will be here. My baby girl. Yes. She will be here. She will be a week or two old. And your experience as a father holding your baby will have officially begun. Like right now, Stephanie gets most of the experience because she's all tucked away and warm in the womb. I know. I'd be so jealous. I ain't going to lie to you. She just be all, oh, she did this today. Great. You know? 
And she be acting shy sometimes. I put my hand on her, on her belly. She'll kick me a little bit. I'm like, all right, you there. Wait till you come out, baby girl. It's going to be me and you. So I'm definitely, uh, definitely excited for that. So as you get ready for that transition, because you and Stephanie have kind of decided that once her maternity leave is up and she returns back to work, that instead of searching for like daycare or primary care, that's going to be all you, brother. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be all me. It's going to be your boy. Me and her taking on the world. So this is uh that is actually something that is um it took it took it took some prayer and, and thoughts, especially being a man, especially being a male and growing up in a society where black men or men in general, so I can't even just put it on just black men, but men in general um assume the responsibility of the caretaker in all aspects of life. And we we are taught or groomed into a role where the women stay at home and we are the ones who are supposed to be um, out getting that bread. And there's no, there's no, there's no real conversation regarding the relationships that we're supposed to have with our children. Uh, We're mainly the ones who just make the money and we make sure everybody's good and just move forward from there. So when we took a step back and actually looked at our relationship um, and like I said, my wife has been going uh, she's been working to become a doctor for over 10 years. Um, we're actually celebrating 10 years of knowing one another. And I was there at the very beginning of her journey. Um, I was there to support her in all those aspects and the long nights, the crying under the desk, the am I good enough to do this? And I was there the whole time encouraging her, uplifting her, letting her know, you know, you're, you're moving in your calling. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And when I thought about it, I was like, I really feel like that's a selfish thing for me to do, to support her for all of these years and tell her, you are you are black girl magic. You are beautiful. You are capable of becoming a becoming reaching your dreams and 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 impacting society. But then to tell her, oh, when the baby comes, though, you're gonna stay at home for a few years. While on my mm. end, if I'm if I'm being honest and really looking at myself. I ran away from my responsibilities and my calling to to do work because it was out of fear. Uh, I I have um, I, I fear failure, and sometimes um, I come up with excuses on why I should do things, why I should get there. You know, I graduated in 2012 with my um, bachelor's in social work. My goal was to get my master's, um, and I was like, oh, I'll just wait a couple of years. And then I got involved. I started working with um, DFAT's Department of Family Children Services in Atlanta for about two years. And then I was just like, well, you know, after this, I'm going to go and get it. Then I moved out here. You know, we got married, moved out here to Dallas. And it kept it was excuse after excuse. And finally, around probably um, August of 2019, I believe, is when I uh, began the journey of marriage and family therapy and started learning. And I was just like, oh, my God, you know, I think I'm moving in my calling. This is what God calls me in. So for me to just have this notion in 2019 and for me to tell her, oh, well, you know, you've been doing this for 10 years. You you get great payment. You take two years off, take care of the child while I continue to do um, work and go to school. It literally makes no sense. <laughs> like... Like, (laughs) like, this is really dumb. Like, why why would I? And it goes completely against me empowering my wife, me uplifting her and providing her access and telling her that she can do all these things, but then limit her once a child comes because she needs to assume this role. 
because women are domesticated and that's what they need to do. So after I got to that point, that's when, you know, we had a discussion. I definitely prayed about it because from a spiritual standpoint, you know, you have to realize, uh, you know, when, when it tells, you know, a man should leave his uh, family and cleave to his wife and, and it gives those, like, what are the roles that men are supposed to be? You know, men are supposed to be providers, protectors, and all of these things in the household. But does providing, protecting, allocate, making, um, being the one that makes the most and also working um, a job? Like, does that, does that allocate that? Like, does that what that mean when they say that? Like, is, is the Bible literally saying a man should, should only work solely, like work in a house and a woman is just supposed to tend but then they give examples of women in the Bible who own their own businesses, who are doing so much more. Because Proverbs 31, be on it. She had on, 18 on, different now. jobs. Come on now. She was doing it all. So it's like, so does, so where do we, where do we find the balance in that? And that's something that we had to uh, discuss and pray on. And for me, um, I felt like it would be better if I stay home. Plus I am the, the, the child person. Um, I've been with Boys and Girls Club for four years now. Uh, my sophomore year of college, I joined Big Brothers Big Sister program. I've been with my little brother for 10 years, uh, working with him. Uh, my first job was working at a summer camp with children. And, you know, I love I love children. Like, I work with the youth at my church. I That's, that's what I do. So that's my calling. That's what God calls me to do. I literally have kids that I consider my niece and nephew that I've been knowing since we got out here to Dallas that they come stay over the night and do all of these things. And Stephanie, I love her. That's my baby. She ain't really a kid person. Let's be honest. Like that ain't her She call. said that. Oh, that okay, you had cool. to ease her into being with and around and comfortable with children and young okay, people. Cool. I'm glad she said, yeah, she did say that. So I'm glad she said that because that's my, that's me. So for me to, to, not assume my natural role in loving and caring on my own child, which I've been waiting for all my life to be able to, you know, father and provide the wisdom and love and care that I give so many other children. I have an opportunity to give that to my own child. And for me not to take that just to assume a role and responsibility that, that is brought up or learned from culture, a westernized culture. Nah, I'm not going to do it. So. Whew, I feel like I said a lot, but that's it. That's 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 what we but got. But listen, that's but that's so much because a lot of times, and especially in the times that we live in now, society will want to take scripture and say, "Well, this is what the Bible says." Okay, well, when it says that a husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church, that's a sacrificial love. It means I might have to sacrifice my ego, my <laughs> pride, what I want, and you know, in place of what's best. Like we forget that because it was written 2000 years ago, it's still accurate. People want to take literal scriptures and say, well, this, this means that, or you're less of a man, a man who don't work, don't eat. Okay. But what about that young single woman out there? That applies to her too. Baby, if you don't go get that job and pay these bills, you're going to be hungry and homeless. So I think it's really powerful that you have a level of faith that allowed you to say, all right, God, I know what they're going to say, but I know what you've been equipping me for. And exactly. I know what you've been preparing me to do. Exactly. So stepping out into that and low key, let me just say this. Now y'all, y'all going to see a picture of Damani, but you're what? <laughs> six, six, four, six, six nine. five, six, nine. Oh, excuse me. Let me put the inches on you. Six, nine. <laughs> Thank you. There we go. you know what I'm saying? Dread swinging with the hang time. It's getting and up. I can, 
<laughs> hey, I can already see you with a little baby Bjorn thing on the front. Like I can already <laughs> picture you with a baby carrier, like taking walks through the neighborhood hey, and like pushing hey. the stroller to get some sun. Yeah. It just knowing your personality and seeing those things about you make this make sense. But as a black man in the world today, when you think about, or as you've had these conversations with your friends and peer group, like, oh yeah, I'm about to be a stay at home dad. Like, what is the response that you've gotten from people? Well, it's always initial shock. Like, what? What? But like she said, I'm since mine. So I don't get back talk or, or criticism <laughs> on my face about these things. Like, I, <laughs> ain't nobody going to come at me like, bro, you ain't supposed to. They be like, hmm. Well, you know, that's an interesting, like, it's an interesting concept. And then we have a conversation and a lot of my friends, um, you know, they understand. They're like, bro, like, I mean, she the one that make the the big bucks, bro. And she's been doing this career. Like, so, you know, they, a lot of them are very excited for me. (laughs) Like, bro, you get to stay at home and chill and all that. But they don't understand, like, first off, they don't understand the work because there's no, there's no chilling. Like, that's one thing that I learned, especially if you want to be an active parent. Like, and, and I was just talking with Stephanie about this. Like, I was just like, you know, I don't want to just be upstairs playing the game. She's just sitting there because I have the responsibility to teach her her skills in life. Like, I, you're not babysitting that no. all those opportunities are parenting. And regardless of whether it's active or inactive, you're still teaching her something. Exactly. Exactly. So it's just like I have to make sure that I'm doing what I can. And there's no like, oh, I clock out at, at after eight or after five. Ain't no clocking out. Like she come home, but that don't mean that. I, do you think I'm going to just be like, all right, here you go. I'm gone for the rest of the night. No, like that's my wife. My wife worked all day. I'm going to still make sure I'm there. I'm still going to be with her. Like, so I've been realizing like it's going to take, it's definitely going to take a lot of work, patience and and love and all of those things. So they applaud it and they accept it. Um, But, you know, I don't think they understand the true ramifications of the seriousness and and the amount of work that it's going to take. And um, that's why, you know, I I spoke with you earlier. I'm thinking about trying to uh, blog or do something like that just to show people like, you know, the, the stuff that women do and, and the things that they that they endure during this time. And, and sometimes, you know, it's like women can do this all day and it's expecting and it's and it's not even received. Like and I can be honest with myself. You know, I have female friends or, or women, lady friends who are um, who stay at home moms and I took advantage of it. Like I never I never took the time to actually think about the amount of work that it's going to take for them to do. And the amount of things that they have to do. And I kind of just, um, you know, I look introspectively and just like, man, you know, I'm going to be calling on folks. Q, I'm going to be calling on you. I love the things you do for your babies. I'm like, oh, my God, they are just amazing. And I'm just like, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, my God, I got to do this. So I'm, I'm definitely excited about it. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm using this. I want to use that opportunity to, to shed light into the amount of work that it takes to ensure that you have a, a sound, emotionally intelligent child and, and you know, just everything that it takes for them to be able to get to that point. So I, like I said, like this isn't a, you know, I, I, I prayed about it. I thought about it. I had to put my ego to the side. I had to understand my calling and understand where God's moving me towards this. And it was just something that I had to learn. So uh, just to reiterate the question, like I said, they, it's initial shock, but 
you know, after I start talking to them and really start explaining, you know, some of the things that we got planned, I'm like, bro, like that's that's a lot of work. You know, it's like I'd rather just go to work and come home. <laughs> like there are some uh, days, no lie, I get on Indeed. I'm like, okay, so for sixty-eight thousand dollars, I show up at eight, I leave at five, I don't have to bring it home, like. Cause ain't no tax credits. I'm not yeah. getting stipends. Like no. this is real free 99 work. Hoping I'm low key. Like parenting is like the ultimate volunteering experiment. Yeah. Like I'm putting all this time in, hoping that at the end of it, this organization, i.e. the children, thrive. Yes. <laughs> out in the world. Yes. But you. So you made a very powerful point that creating a stable foundation within your marriage so that your wife feels supported using your strengths so that you can raise a child and not just one, you know, who is alive, but one who is emotionally intelligent is awesome. Because I think, and we may have talked about this, especially, so for those of you who may not remember, Stephanie is the child of Nigerian immigrants. So she is first generation American too, which brought its own level of pressure and achievement-based milestones that she internalized as her own struggle. Yeah. Having grown up, all of us in some sense, being the token in our families, you made it, you did great, you changed the narrative, not putting that on your child. Like yeah. also recognizing that as you go into this journey is not to raise a smart child, is not to provide an excellent learning environment, but to help this individual grow in whoever God has created her to be so that she can be confident in herself and in your family unit so that one day she can go out into this world because we got a lot of really smart people out here, bruh, that need therapy and they broken and it's a mess. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of of successful uh, people out here who are, who have zero, they uh, just. I'm coping just, skill, positive coping, coping skills, uh, communication skills, emotional it's resilience, uh, so communication. It's so much, like and, zero. So yeah, that's that's the biggest thing. That is, yeah. So what are you doing to prepare for this role? I, I mean, cause right now, I mean, you don't have to do much. Like when they're little, keeping them alive is like the main part, even when they get yeah. bigger. The and hardest part of my job is keeping them alive. Like them first, them first few months is really her again because she pumping food into them, and I'm I'm changing diapers and loving. But she got to pump the food and get it get it going. But what I've been doing, um, I've been doing a lot of research, looking up, um, just reading up on on people who are, who have stayed at home, um, listening more to her, listening to friends on Facebook. I, I do a lot of like I comment on a lot of things. Uh, relationships. I'm always looking at relationships. Um, the biggest thing, like one of my friends on Facebook asked a question regarding, uh, I guess, um, male parents. Like, what was the one thing that you um, told, you taught your daughter that enabled them? And and one of the things I thought about was, and this is what I'm struggling with, we're trying to learn, is the balance between being a provider and lover for her and also allowing her to be independent and thrive. Um, when you have male sons, if they fall, if something happened, mama want to run. I say, chill, let them get up, let them figure it out. We're going to work it out. You know, they become something happened. Son, you got to work it out. Get up, do this. 
soon as baby girl fall or something happen, I'm running. I'm running to her. I'm, <clears throat> I'm hugging on her. I'm making sure she's okay. I'm providing all of this love and nurture to her. And if she, I don't want my child to want for anything. Like I don't want my daughter to want from no man, anything at all. I want to make sure that I provide everything for her. But at the same time, I don't want to enable her, enable her to not be independent and not be a go-getter. Like if the tire, if her tire, um, you know, goes flat on the side of the road, of course I want her to call me if I'm around, but if I'm not around, I don't want her depending on a man. I want her to either know how to change the tire or know who to call and know what safety things to do. Like if we get AAA, I know that, okay, I'm gonna leave my blinkers on, I'm gonna leave this on, I'm gonna make sure my phone charged, I'm gonna make sure everything, like pay attention to her surroundings. Like I wanna, be able to allow her to be independent where she can make the decisions on her own and not need me, but know for a fact that if anything goes down, she can call me. And that's what, um, that's one of the main things I've been trying to uh, learn how to balance because like one of the girls who replied on the Facebook, she was like, I call my daddy for everything. And now I don't know how to do stuff. And I don't want that for mm-hmm. my baby. Like, yes, I want her to depend on me, but you know, I don't want her to feed my ego to a point where it's like, Oh yeah, my baby always need me. But then, what happens if I go? Like life is real, life is short. People, like situations happen. I literally just had this past January, my mentor, a good friend of mine, he was the music minister, he passed away. He passed away January 3rd at church, right after we got done singing on stage, he texted me and said, yo, um, I'm not feeling too well, go up there and sing. He had passed away in the music room. Got a, Got two kids. Like, 40, I think he was 42. Like, I don't want to leave this world without equipping my daughter to be able to handle herself in the event that something happens. You know, I pray to God he equips me to be able to be there through her adulthood. But if she, if I leave this world, I want her not to be afraid to continue to move forward. And that's very important for me. So, you know, I've been trying, you know, I pray about those things. Like I said, I talk to people try to understand the balance. I know this is, and, and I'm always looking ahead. Like, you know, for a few years, of course, I'm providing everything. She She's dependent upon me. But I want to make sure that I don't get so swallowed up in the love that I receive from providing to her for this long that I continue that trait all the way through. Because there's some selfishness in that. Like, we could talk about it. <laughs> we can- You we preaching. <laughs> Like, if we're being honest, there is a self-fulfilling need, you know, because we want to be wanted. It doesn't, and it, and, and most people think of it as in a sexual way. No, it's not a sexual way. I want people, like, we want people to like us. We want people to need us, you know, especially if that's- Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It tells yeah. us, you know, being a part, being a part of the world and being accepted into groups is human nature. Exactly. Exactly. And- when we do those things and and baby girl and everybody, oh my God, daddy, I love you so much. Thank it feels good. And you want to continue to have that good feeling, that relationship. But there's going to be hard times where I have to step back and allow her to do the things that I've instilled with her in years, these years of teaching her the things that we talk about. I have to step back and allow her to make these sound decisions in order for her to be, you know, emotionally intelligent or in order to understand problem solving and not just say, okay, well, I just called my dad. He's going to take care of it. So uh, listen, (laughs) you were preaching because that's so true. Now there are women who are like, I don't need a man, girl. I need my husband, my daddy, a couple cousins, a brother, the next door neighbor. I could do it if I wanted to, but if there's a man around, I'm going to let you go on. 
a trusted man. I'm gonna let you go handle that and I'm gonna fall back. But what you just described is the epitome of what a legacy is. So often, you know, we get caught up, I wanna leave, you know, a legacy for my children. And we let the idea of that be focused on monetary things or physical things or property and real estate. But the legacy, what you teach them, what our children can say, my daddy said, my granddaddy always said, those are the things that will carry on for generations. Those are the things that will change the course of how the names that we use in this world continue to travel until the rapture. So I think that it is phenomenal that you already like, boom, down the line. But what you said about getting affirmed through our children is so real because what can happen is, and this is a first child thing. Granted, I'm an only child, but I'm raising two children. It's a first child thing where because they have your soul undivided attention, they learn really early that when I do this, he smiles. When I do this, he doesn't. And so they will start to tailor their personalities and their actions. And low key, when you go out in public and people are like, oh, she's so well behaved. You're like, I did that. (laughs) She's so smart. (laughs) I did that. You might not say it out loud, but you low key yeah, like exactly. that's me. Like, oh, that's me. Right She's here. smart, but that's me. <laughs> and what happens then is as they get to that age where they want more autonomy, where they crave it, where their prefrontal cortex is like, oh, boom, I could do this myself. Then it becomes this like pull of like, no, I want you to need me. And then we create dependency and we have a whole generation, not all, but we have a whole generation of kids right now who are like, well, you want the best for me, so you're gonna give it to me. Eight, nine year olds with thousand dollar cell phones who have no concept of money. You know, kids out here wearing a thousand dollars worth of clothes, but you can barely read because you have parents who wanna provide things for you that they never had. They don't know how to give you emotional stability or communication or quality time because they didn't get that. But they know that like, I can go to work and buy you these J's that my mama would never give to me. And then, and then what happens? We go out into the world and as young people, you can't afford to maintain that lifestyle or we stress academics. And I've seen this so much being a homeschool and stay at home parent. I know so many people who are like, you know, in the public school system, I want my kids to do well and they got to get straight A's and they got to go to college. And I'm like, but, but is that who God created them to be in this world? Maybe your child is to be a welder who will make the gate for a billionaire's home who will create opportunities for thousands of people, but you're pushing them to college or your kid has straight A's, but they also are addicted to Adderall and they have ulcers and they're so afraid of failure that they won't try things that seem fun because they don't want to get it wrong. And so there's this very fine line of like where parenting goes from being really, hands-on consistently to almost observational like let me just pull back and see what you're gonna do so when it when she falls over and you like you gotta just wait because the moment you make a noise she's gonna she's gonna put on a show she's gonna cry for you that's the one thing i noticed but kids fall they look at they look at everybody's face first they be like boom oh ah!" (laughs) that's how i know if a child really hurt or not because if they cry as soon as they hear, oh, okay, this is bad. But if they looking around and looking at you to attend and run to them, that's when like, oh yeah, I should be hurt. Okay, all right, cool. So that is so true. <laughs> that part, and that is what carries over into relationships. We'll look at other people and be like, wait, based on your response, oh, that was supposed to hurt me. I'm mm. gonna cry. Based on that response, that was meant to upset me. 
So I'm going to be ready to fight you. And we, we really have to sit with ourselves and I'm going to just use myself. I've had to sit with myself at 36, almost 37 years old and say, are my emotional responses related to what's happening in front of me? Or is this a trigger from something? And I'm just reacting to it. And kids are like mirrors, bruh. Like we think we got it together, teeth, brush, hair, comb. We ready for the day. Kids are like the mirror from Cinderella. Baby, you're not the finest of them all. Like I'm going to show you the inside. Your attitude is terrible. And it it's up to us to, to either heed that and allow God to use that sandpaper and help us so that we can help them. Or we could do what, you know, stereotypically was done to us, you know, sit down and shut up. There's grown people business, you know, go over there, be a child and continue to perpetuate that idea. So, man, I'm so excited for Layla to get here. Like niece just don't even know the wealth (laughs) of not even just love because God puts something in us to always unconditionally love our children. You know, we live in a society and I had this conversation with somebody the other day. You know, so many people are like, well, if my child came home and told me they were gay, you know, that's not acceptable to God. It's an abomination. I'm like, first of all, it's a couple of different things in the Bible he says were abominations. But the first commandment he gave that was greatest of all is to love your neighbor. And there's no closer neighbor than the child that came from the fruit of your womb or loin. Exactly. Like they carry even our spouse. But that leads to another question. So have you and Stephanie had the question of or had the conversation about how you will present yourself as a team with Layla. Cause that daddy's girl, mama's boy thing is real. So since you always together with Stephanie come home after those 12 hour shifts and she's like, my daddy said. Yeah, we have conversations about that too. Um, because we, we, we are, we will always ensure that we're united front. Um, and, and making sure that we consider one another in every aspect that we do. So there's, it ain't gonna be that pandering when we go to mama and you say no, okay, then go over to daddy. It's like what your mama say. Like we wanna we we always reiterate that we are first. You're my wife, I chose you. That is that is it. And then we're gonna take care of our baby. And and that doesn't mean that it's gonna be that much less, but we consider one another's opinions, thoughts, and conversations first. <clears throat> we will go to one another and, and talk, discuss it out. And then we will come back and provide it. Like, I want to ensure that this household is one that we think before we act on any, in every aspect, from getting mm. something to drink to <laughs> making a decision about schooling to making a decision about what to like. We want to make sure that we think and 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 we don't, you know, we use our words very wisely. And that's how our marriage has been. Like, we don't yell. Like you say, I we, we talked about this earlier. I'm six nine. I am a dark-skinned male with locks at this point in my life. I don't have time. We already know what's going on with, with our society. We already know what's going on, what's been going on with Black people and Black men and women. And we don't need anybody else coming into our home trying to regulate or try to, you know, assume that, that I'm an aggressor about something or something like that because there's some yelling. I raised my voice at her one time within the past 10 years that we've been together one time in the car and I've never done it since. Like, and, and that was all based of, off of miscommunication. Cause after we, after that happened, we had a discussion about that. And, and from that point forward, we have literally 
when we feel a certain way, we express that we feel that way. I need some time. We come back, we discuss it out, and we move forward. And that's going to be the same thing with with Baby Girl uh, in the mix. We're gonna we're gonna be a united front. You know, if Mom says no, right now Mom says no, we'll talk about it and we will reconvene later. And 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 I feel like it's very important for her to see that. And also, um, and not bringing her into every single conversation, but we may have conversations with her around. You know, I feel like it's important for children to be able to see how to communicate with one another. How does mommy and daddy communicate? Like, I don't want to do everything behind closed doors because she doesn't know what's being seen. She doesn't understand it. And she just, you know, that, that gives her a misconception. It, it'd be like, it'd be like the, the Derrick Jackson moment, you know, uh, <laughs> I had to bring it up. Listen, <laughs> that is narcissism personified, but funny. <laughs> but but his whole but just to bring just to talk about his whole concept, his whole video, and every his likeness came from him discussing things and to and criticizing people, but nobody knowing what's going on in his life. He never be he's never transparent about the things that happen. And and what and the reason why he's getting so much ridicule is because you paint yourself to be this perfect person, and then you are literally doing the same thing that you're criticizing other people about, and now you're looking this type of way. And that could happen in a marriage, that could happen with children. We could literally be a united front and we can show ourselves to be this way, and then they don't know how to they don't know how to handle arguments, they don't know how to handle situations because. Mommy and daddy never argued in front of me. Mommy and daddy never had a disagreement. They always look so perfect. So now I'm in a relationship and it's not perfect. Like my mom and dad, what is wrong? So I want to make sure that, you know, like I said, it's not going to be every single conversation, but if there's a conversation that needs to be had, we will discuss it out in front of her. We'll get her opinion about things so that she understands like, this is how you should be. You should be able to thrive and having discussions with the people that you love, the people that you care about, the people that you're in a relationship with. And it can be calming, it can be rational, and then we can come to a conclusion and move forward. So that's um, where, that's where we at now. I'm praying that, you know, cause yes. she's, she's gonna be so cute and so chocolate, I already know. So I'm, I'm just praying that I continue to speak cause it sounds good now, she ain't here. Hey, we are all perfect parents <laughs> before we have to parent. Exactly. Always like, and, and there'll be ups and downs. Like we tell our kids all the time, mommy and daddy are a team. Yeah. Baby, this, you can't break this up. You and sister are a team, but if you try to come against my team, then I'm going to have to defend it at all costs, yes. honey. We're not doing that. But I think what you said is so true. Cause I remember when Riley was little, she's like, mommy, were you fighting with daddy? I said, we ha- we were having some intense fellowship. There it is. She said, what? Fellowship, you know, when you're with other people, but sometimes mm-hmm. it gets tense. It gets hot. It was just intense fellowship, but we're fine now. And she was like, okay. So she was like three telling people, my mommy, daddy had, had tense fellowship. <laughs> Listen, y'all stay out of my house. Don't worry about what the little child said, but that's so true because I remember like maybe year one or two of her life. And I asked my mom, I'm like, yo, you was a single parent in DC. We never went without. Meanwhile, we over here in the land of milk and honey, it seemed, and we struggling to make ends meet. My mom was like, oh, I struggled all the time. There were times where I let you eat and I went hungry. I so wish you'd have showed me some struggle because now I don't know how to struggle, but that was what protection, that was love. Like, I don't want you to go through what I went through and it cripples a generation. Like now we don't know. First time somebody tell us, no, our feelings just hurt. Rejection is so much worse because 
we've never learned that it's not me. You saying no to whatever it is I'm presenting to you and that's okay, but you're not rejecting me. And so in having those conversations and laying that groundwork and listen, we are one, you've worked uh, with the DFAC system. I worked for child protection for about two years, which totally changed how I saw what it meant to protect a child. Like, yeah. yes, strapping you in your car seat is important. But there were days where I'd be like, I wish people just beat their kids. Like, if you could just get mad at them and whoop them and we intervene, boom. Like, this would be so much easier to handle because my mentals is thrown off by some of these reports coming across my desk. Yeah. And so it caused me to want to parent differently. Yeah. We call body parts anatomical names. We have conversations. And so to that extent, funny story, my oldest was like, mommy, where do babies come from? Okay, so boom, I got a little child appropriate book. You have women have eggs, men have semen, semen fertilizes the egg and creates a baby. Oh, well, how does that happen? It's a process called sex. That's why your body parts are private because when you put them together, the purpose is for them to make a baby. God intended it that way. So he asks us to withhold from the putting of them together until we marry so that we don't just have a bunch of children out here in different households. So the other day, the husband and I, we play fighting or whatever. He picks me up, runs in a room, throws me on the bed. I hear the big one tell the little one, oh, sister, don't go in there. I think they're going to have sex. <laughs> the money. That's how he looked at me. He said, what did she say? So he runs out the room. It was like, no, we're not. Why would you say that? And I'm like, yo, this is what happens when you teach the children oh, the things, honey. That is great. <laughs> they will apply them. However, they see fit. They will try to make sense of them. And then, of course, what happened with the with the four year old? What she say? What's sex? Didn't you ask me for some cookies? Didn't you want a snack? Go and get you a snack, girl. Because we're not doing this right now. I appreciate the privacy, though. She was like, "Hey, you know, I don't think you want to turn that coat to sis. Just stay right here." I appreciate. (laughs) Like, what is happening? So in. As you start to parent and Layla grasp these skills and you have these conversations, because I'm one that's like, if you know enough to ask, I'm going to assume that you have some level of understanding. There's something that's come across that you've been exposed to that created this thought. So I got to go and give you this truth or wherever you got that initial thought or question from, you're going to find it out. And the internet is just waiting to tell you all kind of lies and other people and your kids friends waiting to tell them their version of whatever their mom and daddy said and it creates so much confusion and listen my god is not the author of confusion honey we don't do that come on now now. and i i love the concept that you said especially uh them creating a narrative of what it may be and that's one of the last things that i want like we i grew up in an era where you know my grandpa because i I was raised by my grandparents we didn't talk about sex like, I remember one day I was sitting on the, uh, I, it was middle school. I had got out the shower and I, I'm, I, when I was a child, I used to just chill. Like I just, I'm, I was, I grew up as an only child. Um, so I, I just be chilling and I was supposed to be getting ready for work. I mean, get ready for school. I was sitting uh, on the bed, just naked, literally just thinking about stuff. And my grandfather opened the door and said, boy, what you doing? You in there playing with yourself? And I was like, no. And he closed the door and I was just like, what? Is playing with yourself like and I was like is this <laughs> am I doing this is this playing with myself like 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 I literally had no concept of what that meant 
what it was like. And, you know, that, but that, that's when it began to, you know, I started thinking about, this. but there was no contest. And what, what happened was the internet conversation with my friends and everything else shaped what sex was to me. And, and, you know, growing up in the church, it's always bad, but then you don't want to talk about it. You know, then you don't want to, okay, so I need you to provide me with context then. So, you know, it's so easy, especially uh, with hard topics for us as parents and to just try to shoot them away. And I feel like, you know, the earlier we talk about it and the earlier we begin to have these conversations, by the time she uh, becomes of age, it's not foreign. It's not a, it's not something that is um, we're afraid to talk about or how we introduce it or anything. Cause we've been talking about it. Like you say, grow, uh, working in defense, we need to call body parts what they are. We don't need to call it a cookie or, or any, because pocketbooks. Yeah. They go, they have all these things and then my cookie hurts or something like they could be literally talking about something and, and you never know. So in introducing what private parts is, why they are private, talking to calling them out. And then actually, you know, if they have a question, answer it, like <laughs> literally answer it. But what it takes is research. It takes putting that energy into learning how to discuss conversation with your child. And that's what people, you know, and, and, and I can't fault them because life becomes hard. You know, there's a lot of things like, like you say, your mom was a single mother, like, you know, not having two parents in the home, God bless us where I can stay at home and I can put my energy into learning stuff, into teaching. Uh, God bless you where you can stay at home and put your energy into learning stuff and teaching your children. So when you are working a full job and you got two, three kids, you, you don't know where to navigate. And that's why it's always important to have a village. It's always important to be able to um, have that time where you learn so that you can be able to teach them properly so that they can have a healthier understanding. And having healthy ideals and boundaries for yourself, because like you said, you know, a lot of us grew up, you know, sex is taboo. I remember having the talk and it was like, but if you have sex, you're going to get pregnant. And if you get pregnant, you're going to the clinic. And I remember being like, well, what do you do at the clinic? What happens at the clinic? I don't know. Uh, Okay. That's where you go to have your baby. So unraveling all of those things for ourselves and, you know, going back to, the introduction of this, of like your journey of graduating and then the nine year span or wait, seven year span of going back to school. But see, even all of that served a purpose because if you had immediately gone to school by now, you would have an established career. So then it would have been an ego battle of why I got to walk away from something that, you know, I, I feel like God led me to just so they just because you make more money. So when we step back and look at the timing of things, God gave you all these years to deal with your insecurities around rejection, to deal with your fears of failure, to acknowledge all of these things. And sometimes we think, you know, oh, it's helping me to be a better human being. And while that may be true, it also changes how we look at parent parenting yeah. and how we approach it. Because if I know that it really upset me to feel like I was lied to, I'm going to want to be more honest. Like we don't do Santa Claus, Easter bunny. We don't do any of that. And my family hates it. Oh, you don't let the children have an imagination. Listen, my children are not going to see Jesus or the Holy spirit while they're walking in this realm. But when they find out Santa Claus ain't real, then they're going to start questioning things that are important in his life. Mm. So Santa Claus is a character like Scooby-Doo. He show up around December. 
And then he gone out the door, baby. Ain't no, ain't nobody coming through this chimney and dropping no gifts off. That's me and your daddy. You're welcome. Tear it up and you ain't getting no more. I want my credit. Straight up. I want my I'm not about to give no white man, no black man, whoever else. I ain't about to give them no credit for what I did. This this came from your mommy and daddy from the hard work that we have. Enjoy. And like you said, first off, kids definitely have imaginations. I'm not going to put the Easter Bunny and, and Santa Claus on their only imagination that they have in life. Like, no. So I, I agree with that. We already, t- I said, look, man, let me tell you something. We did this. Um, <laughs> we Listen. I'm giving nobody else no credit for the stuff that we None. Did. <laughs> You're not going to be right here talking about, oh, the, the two fairy gave me $5. No, baby, that came out of my, do- that came out of my pocketbook. You welcome. <laughs> you welcome. I'm not putting no elf on the shelf, baby. Little Trixie is not going to be all over this house making my nerves bad. If you don't do what you're supposed to do, ain't no elf. It's me. And the presents I done hid in the closet is going back to the store because I kept the receipt. Period. Like. We going on on Christmas. We giving them away. So which which one you want to (laughs) do? Look, we going to leave a wrap. You get to pick one. But the rest of them, for every day you cut up, is going in the trunk. We're we not doing this. We're going to watch them open. How about that? <laughs> and you're going to tell them you're welcome. When they say thank you, you're going to say you're welcome with a smile. <laughs> so we will know what not to do. Like, we're not playing these games. Uh-uh. But all of that comes with becoming confident in who we are. Like this year, I've started reading a lot, tons of books. A lot of them um, are personal growth, and then some are parenting. And this common theme that I'm finding is we've made parenting so much about achievement or milestones, even as infants. Do you have the right weight? Oh, well, I got to feed you something different. Are you walking? Why aren't you walking? I need to help you walk. Are you early talkers? Are you doing all of these things? When really it's like, but who made these charts? To be honest, the growth chart is based on formula-fed white babies from the 70s. So, so many of of our children are going to be all over the place on that scale because it wasn't made for us. You breastfeed a baby and their growth is going to be totally different. That's like the BMI. Like, there are so many ways that we will try to trap our children in these boxes and then we parent from that perspective, I've got to make sure you can do this to go to the next grade. I've got to make sure you experience this to get into college. And we begin to make their lives about the next thing mm-hmm. as opposed to living. Because, you know, you talked about um, your mentor passing away. I talked about this. Um, well, by the time this airs, it will have been about a month. But I have a cousin born the same year as me who had lupus, who had a heart attack and died. Oh, my Lord. And even though we weren't close, when I got that call from my little sister, I was like, like my mind couldn't comprehend like, this is a woman with two kids around the same age as my children. What do you mean she had a heart attack? Like, there are people waking up and lives being different. I even stopped telling my girls when I leave the house without them. I stopped saying I'll be back. Because I can't make you that promise. I don't want you spending the rest of your life like, like my mommy said she'd be back and she never came home. But when I say that to people, they're like, wow, you thought about that really deep. Yeah, I do. Because those things matter. Because they mattered to me. So being that conscious parent and taking all these things, so it's not just learning for learning's sake, but applying them to the next generation, like that's to me what it means being better than me. If I got to sacrifice all these years in the workforce, building my social security, 
to be in this house teaching you the things. Listen, greatness is the goal. Exactly. So as we sort of wrap up here, we have talked about all the things. And y'all, this is what I love about the couch because conversation and fellowship can be so cathartic. Having those exchanges, not only do we learn, but just encourages us because listen, I'm like, yo, if the money can do it, it's going to be fine. He's never done this before. If he can be at the house with Layla all day long and not just want to be like, you know what? I quit. I'm going to work. We buying it. We getting a nanny. We moving on. <laughs> we can all do it, baby. We can all do it. But as we get ready to wrap up, is there any last thought or final thought that you would like to leave the audience with or leave men with um, as it relates to this new chapter in life for you? Um, yeah, I would say, um, especially for my brothers who, who are out there, man, um, it's important for us to be able to look introspectively at things and not be afraid to, to go with our feelings on, on, on certain things, um, have conversations, um, find a group of men who are able to relate or who are willing to relate and, and to be able to discuss what's going on in our lives. Um, I feel like there is a disconnect, especially with one another as a brotherhood. Um, I feel like, you know, there are times where we don't, as men, we, we don't know how to have conversation with one another. And that, that bleeds into our children. Like children are sponges. They take in everything and they see everything. So even if we don't feel like, oh, you know, I feel like I do good. They see that. Like they see what's going on. They see your inactiveness or they see your distance or they may see those things. So, you know, we it's our duty as men, as fathers, to make sure that we do what we can to provide them with that stability and that comfort and that understanding. So I I definitely encourage men to talk more, have discussions, even if it's not with other men, with your wives. Um, you know, I pray that people who are in relationships are in friendships with their, with their spouses. Like, you know, I see, you know, I hear a few men or a few people who are like, I don't talk to my wife about this or, you know, my, you know, who's your best friend. If your spouse isn't your best friend, I feel like, you know, and, and this is my personal opinion. I just feel like there should be, it has to be some level of closeness. Even if it's, if they're not your best, they got to be top three. Like we have to have relationships with our spouses, with other people, trusted people that can be provided in your circle that are moving the same way in order to get through this. Every black person in America has trauma. If you grew up in America, you have some sort of trauma, some sort of issues. And, you know, we're moving into an age where we have to stop balling it up. We got to start giving it out. We, I mean, we got to start talking about these things and starting to heal. So, um, you know, the biggest thing, and I feel like that was a lot of different things, but the biggest thing is for men, man, like talk, have conversations, find a therapist, find someone to talk to. Look for a black male therapist. December 2022, I will be out. So even if you got to wait till the end and, and hit up Q and, and find our podcast to get my information, that's fine. 
Like, even if you want to become a friend, just reach out. Like, we got to start bridging this opportunity so that we can be healthier people. We can be healthier individuals and we can continue to see our community grow. I feel like, you know, black people are waiting for an opportunity for us to grow. And I'm like, if we become more united and more loved and we continue to and, and we go back to loving and supporting one another, we go, we'll be at the top. Like, like we don't I don't have to worry about a handout from somebody else. I don't have to worry about um, our reparations and things from the government because my brothers and sisters, we supporting one another. We loving one another. We talking to one another. We going to find a way to make it out of this together. So, whew, OK, that is that's how it. community thrive. Listen, this this could be a whole nother conversation because the concept or the thought of one men emoting openly, crying, being vulnerable, being honest, being transparent, add black men to that. And it's like, yeah, no, that is a very small subsection. And there are so many people who are even, I hope if there are men, mothers, whoever, raising little boys, tell your babies to cry. Let them cry. Let them hurt. Let it because they're human. Things will hurt them. They should be able to express that. But when we teach them, get up, shut up, stop all that noise. We're teaching them that it invalidates those feelings. And yeah. those natural human responses. And then they grow up and have to unlearn all of these things or don't realize they have to unlearn it and continue to perpetuate that pain and anguish yeah. and hurt on so many people. Yes. And but not only let them cry, but also show them how to do after you get crying. What what's the next step afterwards? Mm. And, 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 and that's important as well, because we have a generation where all they do is cry and it's. <laughs> Okay for them to cry, but now they don't know how to heal. They get don't back up and, and get back, get back up again. Come on now, that's a song now. Come on now, we fall out, but we get up. So we got to teach them how to get back up. So it's and, and and sometimes it takes you learning. Be honest with yourself. That's why I say going looking back introspectively. Be honest with yourself. If you don't know how to cry, you don't know how to get into situations, and you don't know how to bounce back from it. Seek help so that you can, so that you can stop this from perpetuating to your children. There you have it, my friends. Listen, I couldn't have said it any better. Damani, thank you for your time. Thank you for your voice. I pray that this be a message that curates conversation in circles, but also encourages and inspires. So y'all, thank you for joining us on the couch. This may be the first, but it definitely won't be the last because baby, when that when that degree is conferred, we have it all the talks. There we go. We, we in here. We in here. So Absolutely. So until next time, we'll see y'all later. Peace out.